went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages and taught the people. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study, but by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me Have you heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Well, in our passage, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, this phrase is exemplified. Our Lord Jesus had come into his own country, his own hometown, and into his own family, and the people were hearing him teach in the synagogue. And hearing him teach, they were astonished. Well, what were they astonished at? Well, they were amazed at his wisdom and his miracles, and after all, they were thinking, this man is only an ordinary carpenter. Well, Jesus also was amazed at their unbelief because they were offended at him. You know, Jesus' words are so true. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. Have you ever experienced this rejection from anyone who is close to you because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? It does happen, doesn't it? I know. Here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are studying together this gospel through Mark, and we today start in the sixth chapter. I don't know how you folk feel, but the more I read this gospel through Mark, the more I am taken up with the precious person of our Savior. My, how wonderful he is, how tender, how compassionate, how understanding. And the thing that thrills my heart is there's not, no one ever came to him in need that was ever turned down. And how glad I am that he'll, if you mean business, he'll never turn you down either. And I'm so glad that today we can get together and see some more of the marvelous revelation of the person of our Savior. Now in chapter 6, 
of Mark. I want to read the first six verses. And here we see the unbelief of his people uh, in Nazareth, where he was brought up. And I read, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Let me just stop right here for a moment. This has always astounded me, is the unbelief of his people at Nazareth. You remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we read where our Lord had been there before. Uh, in Luke 4, he did not take his disciples. He hadn't called his disciples yet. He was in Nazareth. That amazing passage, you remember, where he went into the synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to give deliverance to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Then you remember it follows that by him rebuking the people of his day, or the people of his town of Nazareth, because of their unbelief, because of the fact that uh, they didn't manifest the faith that even Gentiles did. Do you remember they'd, they'd try to throw him over a cliff? Now, after some of his ministry here in the Gospel through Mark, he went back, I believe, to, to Nazareth and uh, went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And those who were hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Let me just stop here for a few moments. You remember that Nazareth was the place where our Lord had spent 30 years of his life. And when our Lord went back into the synagogue and began to teach there, they were astonished at his doctrine. More than likely, the Lord Jesus expounded the Scriptures to them. And he was so different to the rabbis and to the scribes. I believe that the Lord, when he spoke, reached right down into their hearts, into their consciences, and they were offended at him. Where did this carpenter get all this wisdom? How can he do these mighty works? must be of the devil. Can't be of God, because we know this fellow. You see, their, their attitude, not accepting the Savior as a son of God, was caused by jealousy and envy. Who do you think you are? You remember he had lived 30 years in their midst. 
It repaired their plows, their yokes, possibly their houses. To them, he's just a carpenter. By the way, this is only in Mark's gospel. This one who framed the ages, this one who created worlds by the word of his mouth, when he came as a man in the midst of men, he worked with his hands as a, in a carpenter shop. Now, the possibility is that Joseph, his foster father, was dead, and more than likely our Savior cared for the whole family. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, he who was in the form of God taught it not a thing to be held on to or grasped after, but he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a slave, was found in fashion as a man. Do you remember that? Or you take 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 verse, he who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Why were they offended at Jesus? You see, how could one who had lived 30 years in their midst teach them anything? See, their attitude is that you're no better than the rest of us. Their hearts were not open to God. They were offended. They didn't want to know anything from Him. You remember in John 7, 17, our Lord said, If any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether I speak from myself or from God. You know, this is a common trait. You've known someone for years, and you're not going to receive anything from them. You have the attitude, I know as much as they do. Now here, Jesus, for 30 years, had lived in their midst, ran the carpenter shop, worked at the bench. As I said a moment ago, he repaired more than likely their yokes and their plows and possibly some of their houses. What does he know about wisdom? What does he know about the Scriptures? What does he know about teaching? He's just Jesus the carpenter. You can see you can see their attitude, and they were offended at him. And how often people are offended today, and if I may be a little practical here, how true when one has been transformed by the power of the gospel of Christ, we've accepted the Savior, we're rejoicing in him, some of the sins that we committed are no longer there, habits are gone, and sometimes we become an offense to people whom we've known all our lives. You see, I know what I'm talking about. You go home and you tell your friends about the Savior, tell your family about the Savior, you tell your friends and your neighbors about the Savior. And they, they have the attitude, who do you think you are? Are you better than us? And they're offended. I think this is true in so many of our lives. Don't be surprised, my friend, if you are a young Christian and seek to glorify the Savior, don't be surprised if the ones who are offended at your testimony are those who have known you all your lifetime. Especially in your own family, it's hard to testify in your own family because they remember how well they remember some of the things you did before you knew the Savior, and they take offense at it. I say it's a common thing. I'm sorry to say this, but it's true. They were offended at his testimony. This one, 
And I've oftentimes wished I could have been there those thirty years and watched our Lord, especially when he was working in the in the carpenter shop, possibly from the time he was a boy right up through until he was thirty years of age. He ran the carpenter shop, worked with his hands, worked with the tools. His hands would be hard. He would know what it was to sweat over a plow or a, or a yoke or something else. He understood what people were going to. You remember the common people heard him gladly because he was one with them. Oh, how glad I am the Savior came in humiliation. He came right where I was, came right where you were, and he loved us enough to die for us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to those who were still active in their sins that he might redeem them from sin, fit them for the presence of God. So I'd like to encourage those of you who are giving a testimony for the Savior and having a problem. Don't be surprised if some of those that you thought would take you in their arms would uh, well, accept your testimony. How well I remember when I became a Christian and I began to witness in the machine shops where I worked about the Savior. And if I one man picked up a hammer, turned white as a sheet, and said, don't you talk to me about your Christ, ready to brain me. All the reactions I had just because I had accepted the Savior. I thought, you know, I was so naive about it, I thought that these folk would accept me and rejoice that I would tell them about one who could cleanse them from sin and fit them for the presence of God, give them eternal life, make them a child of God. No, they were offended at me, just as they were offended at the Savior. And then you notice from verses 5 to 6, you find this, this question of their unbelief. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Let me just touch on this for a moment. Unbelief. Unbelief hindered the power of God. This is so today. Even in our Christian lives, oftentimes the will of God is hindered. The power of God is hindered because of our unbelief. I tell you, unbelief is a terrible thing. I think it's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, where the writer of Hebrews says, prays that there will not be an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is the product of an evil heart. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Later on, he marveled at the faith of a Gentile, but he marveled at the unbelief of the people with whom he had lived for 30 years. I'm sure when our Lord lived among these people for 30 years at Nazareth, he lived a perfect life. You remember? He could say to his enemies afterwards in John 8, 46, which one of you convinceth me of sin? What a life he must have lived. And I'm sure that his life was a rebuke to them. And when he taught in their synagogue, I'm very sure that as he gave the word of God in the power of the Spirit of God brought conviction to their hearts and they were offended. If anybody should have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it should have been these people. I tell you again, my friend, unbelief in the Son of God, in the Word of God, unbelief in the Savior has terrible footage 
and that footage is eternal judgment. You know, I was thinking of an illustration of that in the book of Judges. The people of Israel, in their unbelief, turned from God and went to idolatry. They'd been brought out of Egypt, brought through the wilderness, brought into the land, conquered their enemies. And here now, when you come to the book of Judges, God gave them men to rule over them. They spurned their rulers, which God gave them. And you, before you get to the end of the book of Judges, you've got idolatry and all that pertains to it. When a man turns his back or when a nation turns its back upon God, you reap lawlessness. The very last verse of the book of Judges, that would be Judges 21, 25, we read, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's nothing less than lawlessness. And may I say, friends, and I say this sadly, if ever we as Christians needed to pray for our country, it's today. When a nation turns its back upon God, when an individual turns its back upon God, upon the Word of God, upon the person of our Savior, there's nothing else but lawlessness is left. Take away the righteous one, and what have you got? Unrighteousness. Take away the Savior, and what do you have? Hell on earth. And if ever we Christians, and I appeal to those of you who love the Savior, if ever we prayed for our country, it's today. We need this so much to pray that the Lord will have mercy on us and there'll be a great ingathering of souls. I, I'm so happy, so thankful to the Lord for the many young people who are coming to know the Savior these days. On the other hand, I see millions of others who are going just the opposite direction, indifferent. They've heard the Word of God possibly all their lifetime, got no use for it. Turn their back on God. Turn their back on the Savior. Oh, I tell you again, unbelief is a terrible thing. Now, <laughs> allow me to say something else. In verse 5, He could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. You know, at the end of verse 6, And he went round about the villages and, and taught the people. Even though his own people at Nazareth were opposed to him, offended in him, it didn't stop the Savior reaching those who were in need. It's true, it's true that he couldn't do any mighty work because of their unbelief, but there were those who needed him. And so it is today. I don't care who the people are. My friend, if you mean business, the Lord means business too. And he healed everyone who came to him. May I, friend, again tell you, the Lord never turns anybody down. You know, it says in John, John 6, uh, 37, I believe it is, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He could say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it wonderful that the Savior is always ready at any time, under any circumstance, to meet the need of any heart that's hungry for him? So I'd like to encourage you, especially you Christians, you young Christians, in giving your testimony for the Savior, and I'm repeating this, I want you to know very, very clearly that when you give your testimony for the Savior, you're going to have those, even those whom you anticipated accepting the gospel. In fact, you were living in, in anticipation of them accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, 
and instead of that, they rebuked you, they were offended in you, turned their backs on you. You know, I think I ought to say this. It's easy to give up things for Christ. In fact, it's easy to give up people for Christ. But it hurts when somebody you've known for a long time gives you up for Christ. I learned that in the very early days of my Christian experience. There was a joy in doing things for Christ. There was a joy in being living in separation unto God. I thank God for the, for the encouragement of, of uh, other Christians to walk with God, to live for the Savior. And there was a certain measure of joy in giving up fellows that I used to be with. Uh, I gave my testimony to them, and they turned me down, turned their back on me. In fact, one day they met me on the street and absolutely ignored me. Ah, that's when it hurt. I found there was still a lot of pride there, you know. I say again, it's easy to give things up for the Savior, easy to give people up for the Savior who don't want Him. But when they give you up and ignore you, it hurts. But you know the Savior, our wonderful Savior, went among His own people, and He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. I wish in some way I could put into words the way I feel about this. I wish people could realize the awfulness of unbelief. It's a product of an evil heart, says Hebrews chapter 3. And the one thing that delights the heart of God is when people will turn to the Savior, put their trust in Him. You know, people say, Mr. Mitchell, I'll, I'll work for the Lord, I'll sacrifice for the Lord. No, He wants he wants your trust. He wants your love. Service is a, is a secondary thing. What he wants is you. What he wants is you. Wouldn't you think that the Savior, after spending 30 years in his town, living the kind of a life that he must have lived, then he came back to his town after he had done many, many wonderful, mighty works, taught them the Word of God, went into their synagogue, unfolded the Scriptures, revealed to them the very heart of God for them, then to have them be offended, and then to find out He couldn't do any mighty works? Do you mean to tell me that God couldn't do mighty works? In irrespective of people, let me face it, let us all face it, the Lord is not going to force Himself on anyone. He could do no mighty works there. Unbelief hindered an eternal God and a mighty God from doing what He wanted to do for them. I tell you again, unbelief is a terrible thing. In other words, they had no heart for the Lord. They had no heart for God. What He did in their teaching was to reach right down into their hearts. And I'm sure their consciences were smitten. Their hearts were laid bare by one whom they'd known 30 years and they were offended. What I'm trying to get to you today is, don't be surprised when you walk with God that some of your closest friends will be offended. But the Lord is always ready, and I repeat it, the Lord is always ready to meet the need of any heart that will turn to Him. Remember, His heart is open for you and for me. Now, may this be a day of you experiencing the very presence of the Savior who said, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Trust him. Even when you can't see, trust him. He'll meet your every need. And the Lord bless you now for his precious name's sake. Write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. That's The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.